Hello, Tom. Hello, Michael. How are you this fine... What day is it? Tuesday? Yes. Are you at um, home? Yeah, I'm at home, and it's a nice uh, summer afternoon. Oh, that's right. It is a summer afternoon. I forget you're in a different time zone and in a nicer part of the world. <laughs> well, I shouldn't be saying that. I've actually adjusted to Vegas pretty well, whereby 42 degrees now is normal for me. Yeah, you get used to it very quickly, but I found in climates like that, um, air conditioning is nice. Oh, yes. You have no air conditioning in Vegas. You are toast. Literally toast. It's, it's, it's incredible how, you know, when people say the greatest invention is, I don't know, they should go with more basic things like air conditioning. <laughs> yes. To heck with the wheel. Air conditioning is what matters. <laughs> to heck matters. with the wheel or the semiconductor and all those guys in Silicon Valley. The air conditioning <laughs> has made it possible for us to now have warm weather 24 hours a day, every day of the year. Yeah. Okay, how are you doing? Everything's well with you? Yeah, everything's good. Did you download our app? Yes, I did. I, I took a look at it yesterday. Um, I haven't... I played a... I started playing an episode, um, and I'm looking forward to um, downloading a few. I have some airplane trips coming up. Okay, very good. Very good. Okay, excellent. As long as you find it useful, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the topic for today's podcast, right? Yes. So in my head, I had a couple of things I wanted to discuss in the podcast today, but uh, two big ones, right? Well, they're actually all big, I would say. They're all pretty interesting. Um, let's start with um, how to manage extreme fatigue stress. Mm-hmm. Because I think that when I was looking at um, the popularity of our podcast, I was actually surprised to see one of the most popular podcasts in our entire library of over, what, between all channels, over a thousand podcasts, is the one on how to be productive. Mm-hmm. I did not think that would be so popular. <laughs> For some reason, that is, you know, the, the most popular podcast is the interview at Bill Madisoni, mm-hmm. then Kevin, then I'm number three, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> the one on productivity. So, I thought that, um, thought that given how popular productivity is, we would do something on how to manage extreme stress and fatigue. Yeah, I think that's an important topic. It's, and it's one that um, it's often in the background, and it, and it may also be taboo in some spaces, because even talking about it, you, you might be afraid it raises questions. I think you are very right. I mean, I remember how shocked the business community was when um, the C- this, this Portuguese CEO of some major uh, insurance company took time off for fatigue. Which is, un- that's unheard of, right? People said, what's wrong with this guy? He needs to take time off for fatigue? But you know what? Do you know how much fatigue we go through? I'm going to specifically talk about that. I'm going to do this like a Colin Farrell movie, Right. I'm going to talk about an event and then I'm going to flash to the future and flash to the past. Okay, I'm going to, So we're going to flash forward and flash back and so on, right? Okay. So uh, many of you may know we were recently in the Northeast uh, for our, we had, some, we had a partner meeting and we also met other partners. So just partner meetings, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about an incident that happened and then I'm going to move to what led to that event and then what happened after the event, okay? Okay. So we were we were getting ready to take a, a you know, public transport to travel uh, to a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I was there and, uh, you know, we were traveling together and one of our partners, you may know Chris, right, mm-hmm. was there. And so Chris was there and then she starts saying that she's not feeling well. And I say, okay, you know, it's Chris, you know, she's Russian, they won the Second World War, I'm sure she can handle it, right? 
So I'm not too worried about it. She's quite tough, you know, probably tougher than all the men there. And mm-hmm. but then she says, you know, she doesn't feel well. She's she thinks she's going to collapse. And I think again, I know she's maybe just saying that so we don't harass her too much. But she never exaggerates ever, right? So and anyway, Chris collapses. Oh my goodness! And doesn't just faint. She has a seizure. Do, have you ever seen someone have a seizure? Uh, so I used to have seizures myself when I was very young, and it's it's disturbing to be around. Let me tell you something. It's like you have been transported into the movie The Exorcist, mm-hmm. and you are watching something that your brain cannot compute. Yeah, you you don't know what to do. You don't know what's happening. It's 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 actually scary if you're not if you haven't been trained to deal with it. I have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. And nobody there has any idea what to do, right? Because we're not trained for this really kind of shocking thing because we're so highly trained. Mm-hmm. You know, we always tell people, well, you know, we're trained to handle stressful client situations. But this happens and nobody knows what to do. No, mm-hmm. no, we don't know what to do. I mean, the only, you know, views I had there was to put my suit jacket underneath their head and then the cop told me I don't know what I'm doing so just back away right <laughs> so so you know the thing is that having a seizure is very different from fainting people don't understand they're completely different things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a seizure is like you collapse and then you know you become a zombie and your body starts doing all kinds of things right mm-hmm. it's a very scary experience for someone who's never seen that I've never seen that before mm-hmm. especially when you see it to someone who's quite tough yeah when you see it to some, happening to someone who's really very tough and you know be, pretty much able to do anything it scares the hell out of you. Um, so Chris had a seizure. And this was very early in the morning. It was, you know, before public transport started working. We were, at, you know, ready to go for this important meeting. And the cops stepped in. And I must say the police department did a very good job. I was very surprised at how well they handled it. Mm-hmm. They had an ambulance there in, a, I think, in about two or three minutes. And they, you know, whisked her away. And, you know, that was, you would think that would be that, Right. But so we, 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 we go for the meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And Chris goes to the hospital. So and uh, because Chris is a workaholic and partly due to the you know trauma of the situation, I took her phone with me. But I also took her phone because I know if I leave a phone with her, she'll be calling me and giving me instructions during the meeting, right? Exactly. She's that kind of a partner. Mm-hmm. So I thought, OK, I'm going for this meeting. And, you know, obviously it's disturbing to watch this, but... We have to speak to the client's needs, right? Mm-hmm. So I go for the meeting. And then I get a call. Around, it is early in the morning. It must have been around 8.15, right? And the hospital says, is this Michael? Someone wants to speak to you. <laughs> Who the hell wants to speak to me? <laughs> and then Chris is on the line <laughs> instructing me on the three most important things we need to raise in this meeting. Of course. Of course. She finds a phone somewhere in the hospital. Mm-hmm. She gives me the instructions. Now, truth be told, I did forget about those three most important things. So I'm glad she mentioned it to me. But the point I want to discuss is what led to this. Okay. And, you know, because I think that no one ever talks about these things because they think it's a weakness. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a weakness. I'm going to talk you through the events that led up to this and, you know, what was going on, right? Because it's quite important to understand these things, right? Okay. So I think that you know, if you look at the events that led up to this, I think it started probably last year, I would say July. Yeah, I think it started in July, right? About a year ago then. Yeah, so a year ago. The, 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 the sequence of events started a year. It's just like a Colin Farrell movie. You've got to follow it, right? <laughs> 
and it, it leads to something, right? Fla- flashback. And it starts with surprisingly with Chris as well, because we were having a partner meeting, and we were laying out the plan for what we're going to do over the next year and a year and a half, right? Mm-hmm. And Chris was managing the kind of overall thinking there. So we laid out a very ambitious plan, and the, the the result of that plan was that, you know, most people when when Thanksgiving came, when Halloween came, when Christmas came, when Boxing Day came, they were probably at home with friends and family, right? Mm-hmm. I can assure you that on Christmas Day, Thanksgiving Day, I was working really hard, right? Mm-hmm. We were pushing long hours, and we were working on complicated stuff. Well, I didn't even really have Christmas. I don't think I ate anything for Christmas special. We didn't even somehow, go anywhere for Christmas. I didn't go anywhere. I don't know about the other partners, but I didn't go anywhere, right? Somehow I'm not surprised. It, 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 it seems like you. It seems very you. Yeah, so we were busy working uh, through, and it's just, you know, we, we, we chose this plan. So it's not as if it was forced on us. It was, we chose this plan. We started working through uh, uh, Christmas. I don't remember. I was really. I don't know how happy I was when the twenty first. It was when the fourteenth of December, the twenty first of December, because firms consulting officially closed. Officially closed means we closed so we could work. That's what it yes. Means, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean we closed so we didn't have to work. It means that thank God now I can just focus on getting the work out. Right. Yes. And that's all we were doing, just working diligently on the studies. The studies were a very big thing we were doing, and they were quite complicated. Right. Mm-hmm. So. We started this plan. The other thing we did is we decided we we're going to finish five studies at once. We'd never done that before. Mm-hmm. The most we'd ever done at once was one study. So wow. we come up with this diabolical plan, almost like an Elon Musk plan, just promise more and hope no one notices. <laughs> <laughs> we promised five studies, right? which let me tell you is like really, people forget how hard it is to put out a study. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most. I always tell people I leave a piece of my soul when that study is done. <laughs> literally, I have sweat. There's blood. The sheets. Literally, I mean, there's some sheets that have actual blood on them due to paper cuts, right? So, <laughs> so it's really complex to put out those studies because there's so much attention we get for it. Mm-hmm. Everyone watches it, and if we make one mistake, we are toast. Yeah, yeah. The quality has to be perfect. The quality has to be not just now, but in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. You got to remember that this is like you know, like watching The Sopranos. It must not just have looked good in 1998. It's got to look good look in 2016 when you watch the reruns, right? Yes. So that's the kind of stress we were under. Then at the same time, we had decided we were going to move our head office mm-hmm. to the United States, which let me tell you is one of the most difficult things in the world to do. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that when you announced it, and uh, there's just got to be so much to do, just physically, and even just with all of the partners. Oh my God, legally, it is a pain in the ass. I can't, I can't tell you how hard it is to do this legally. There's mm-hmm. so many rules and regulations you have to adhere to. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do, because you know, you're a Canadian company, you can't just go to the United States. The United States doesn't recognize Canadian companies. You have to create a new company in the U.S., you have to reincorporate. Okay. And then you can't take any of your Canadian stuff into the US because you can't, one company can't give another company stuff for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So, anyway, a lot of rules and regulations which really took up a lot of our time. And not to mention the physical element of moving. Now, granted, I didn't do much of that. Other members of the team worked on that. Uh, but I still had to get on the plane and move, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not fun, right? right? Arriving in a new city where you don't know anything, you've heard stories about rattlesnakes and scorpions. <laughs> all over the place you kind of get scared right and you know yeah. especially since this is an open carry state don't fight with anyone right 
Yes, it, it, in some sense that makes everyone a little bit more polite. Everyone's very polite. I mean, this is really the south. The southwest is super polite because of things like that, right? Texas, mm-hmm. Nevada, and so on. Yeah, people are very polite. I must say, you know, it's not even. I wouldn't say it's insincere politeness. It's just friendly. Yeah. 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 You know, it's a very nice culture. I mean, I think Vegas is a great place. So anyway, we had that going on, right? At the same time, we had a lot of big behind-the-scenes stuff going. With our website, and you know the app was coming out. We were working on that, yeah. and that had a lot of problems with it. You'd think launching an app would be easy, right? Well, it's one of those things that conceptually it's easy, yet the devil's in the details. Man, it is so hard. It is so hard. It is yes. so hard because IT people, I think they are a little bit like divorced parents. They make promises to their kids that they are never going to keep. I don't think they are, I don't think IT people are incompetent or they're lying. I don't think they do that. I think that they really try, but sometimes it just fails, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, not, not every client is the same. We have technical stuff in the back end that they could never predict. Right, right. And we have some needs. You know, we're very strict on security that we could never have predicted. They could never have predicted we wanted that kind of level of security, so they have to build all those things mm-hmm. in, right? So all of the and there were a couple of other things happening in the back end as well. That was going on. Um, we also had so many programs running out. At the same time, we decided that, you know, previous years we've only been able to push out a maximum of two programs, and this year we'll pro- push out 14 programs. So you're describing just dramatic expansions and major changes. Yeah, dramatic expansions, major changes, um, you know, and people would say, but that's, you're crazy to do that. But I would say, but why, would it, why shouldn't you want to mm-hmm. do that? You only live once. Uh, why go slow? What is the point? You grow as a person and as a nation when you fight, when you're in combat, mm-hmm. right? I mean, think about it. One way to look at the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor is it's a horrible day that will live in infamy. Mm-hmm. The other way to look at it is it mobilized the United States, yes. right? Yes. It, it, I mean, the, the, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, you could argue, was the greatest thing for women's rights. It mobilized the female population, brought them into the cities, put them into the workforce, made them replace men in the workforce. It made women realize they could move to the cities, which totally transformed mm-hmm. cities, right? So, and a, a nation at war, you know, benefits greatly. Yeah. Right? Think of how many inventions came out of World War II. The GI Bill transformed corporate America. Mm-hmm. So, when, when, when you, you know, obviously we can't go fight the Japanese. They're now a pacifist nation, right? And we'd probably lose, right? They have a lot yes. of weapons. But we can't simulate warfare in a company. Mm-hmm. You can put yourself into very stressful, difficult situations where you're forced to innovate yourself out mm-hmm. of it. And that's a little bit of my strategy, right? Put the firm through such stress that a diamond is eventually mm-hmm. produced. Or just a very ugly-looking <laughs> piece of coal. <color, laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, by, by the time we had shifted and done all of this by around April, things were going well. You know, we had not fallen behind on anything despite everything we were doing. We were well on track. Okay. Which was very surprising because we had dramatically increased the amount of work mm-hmm. we were doing. In a new country, everything was changing, but we were still on track, which is, you know, it was hard. Right? I'm not going to take credit for that. I'm not the person who drives all of that, right? I just can't get credit for it in the public setting. But the point is there were some signs that things were not right. Yeah. Let me give you some stories. Right? I was, so before I start, I just want to thank Mercedes-Benz for all those wonderful safety gadgets they have in their cars. If it wasn't for them, I'd probably be roadkill at this wow. point. Right? They're, they're, it's amazing what a new Mercedes can do. I mean, it, it like beeps and does all kinds of funny things to protect you, but it works, mm-hmm. right? 
I mean, I don't have to check lanes anymore. It does it all yes, for you. Yes, yes. It's wonderful, right? Now, there were some signs that things were not right, yeah, right? So the other day, I was getting into my car and I was reversing. I thought, wow, it's so white and beautiful outside. And then I reverse into, I keep on reversing slowly out of my driveway, obviously, because it's a driveway. Mm-hmm. I don't want to kill anyone. And then I keep on reversing and then my car won't move. I'm thinking, what's going on here? Is it so misty outside that it's, you know, seized my car for something? And I'm still, and then I put a little bit more pressure on the accelerator to reverse a little bit more. And then I hear a I think, hmm, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and, then I, and then I look carefully and the whiteness was not a mist. It was a FedEx. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so tired that I didn't even notice the big FedEx logo. Wow. I just reversed into a FedEx truck. But thankfully, I was going so slow, no damage. So the FedEx right. driver didn't even notice I touched him, right? I went and spoke to him and told him, you know what, that just happened. He said, yeah, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Like they insured for these mm-hmm. kind of things. Pretty the insured for crazy people. Right. Right? So anyway, that was the first sign of that, hmm, this is not a good sign, mm-hmm. right? And then, so, okay, so that was one thing that happened. Then, uh, the other thing is that I was driving in Vegas. Now, for those of people who have never driven in Vegas, Imagine fitting 50 million people into the island of Manhattan and giving them alcohol when they drive. <laughs> That's Vegas for you, right? It's insanely busy. In city. Mm-hmm. Downtown is mad. It's mad, yes. right? So I was driving there and then something didn't feel right. I noticed my responses were very slow to everything. I just couldn't respond very fast. I was driving and I would do things slower than normal. And I was trying to pay attention, but I couldn't pay attention, mm-hmm. right? And honestly, I can tell you right now, it's surprising I didn't meet at least seven accidents during that one trip down to the strip. Wow. I went to the strip to take a day off. Well, not a day off, to take a, a, a sort of time off to watch the Euro or was it the Copa, one of the football mm-hmm. tournaments. And it didn't last very long because I was driving so badly I decided just to come home, mm-hmm. right? So there were all these signs that things were not going well, mm-hmm. right? And there were several nights whereby we had to work through the night because things just were needed in that format, right? right? Other signs, I was lost my voice a lot during this uh, year. Many people know I canceled many times because I just physically did not have mm-hmm. a voice, right? Now, while I'm working all these hours, the team is also under a lot of pressure because mm-hmm. they are managing you know, very big... A lot of the things that you see, I don't even touch it. They manage mm-hmm. it, right? And Chris is one of the people who was managing things very aggressively. Okay. Right? So we arrive in, so we, we haven't been sleeping much, um, uh, working long hours, and, you know, obviously she's got her own personal stuff she's dealing with, uh, her own personal life, and she's got to cram all those things in together. And we arrive late because, you know, I'm notorious for arriving late and then having meetings the next day. And I'm v- normal, it's very normal for me to, to ask to speak to people in the middle of the mm-hmm. night, right? So we have to be at this meeting at seven o'clock the next morning. But due to a confluence of factors, including timings, when we get back to the city and so on, we get back very late, but we have to be up at around four o'clock the next morning. Right. So I decide that I want to discuss what's going to happen the next (laughs) night. So people don't get any Mm -hmm. sleep. And because we're under time pressure, no one eats as well. Oh, so no one's eaten, no one slept. So I recall Chris only eating. She's a very healthy lady. I mean, she eats, you know, she watches what she eats. So she refuses to eat bread. Mm-hmm. 
and eats the egg from inside an egg salad sandwich. I recall that very clearly, <laughs> right? Because I think she took my egg salad sandwich. I wasn't very happy about it. It was the last day, right? But anyway, so no food. The next day, I don't recall her eating anything um, at all. So, so, so all of those things led to this confluence of factors which caused the seizure. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that people... Now, what I'm going to give you is my view on things. You don't... I'm not, this is not prescribed behavior, right? So when I, ex, when I explain things, I don't want people to think, well, Michael is saying this, I'm not going to do I'm not saying you should do this, right? This is what I see, and it's the way I run things, and I, and I don't want people to, um, to assume that I'm telling them they need to do this. You've got to decide what works for you. Mm-hmm. And it could be either end of the spectrum. Now, one of the rules we have is that we never let a client down, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it would take a lot. I always tell people when I cancel, it's because I physically cannot do the call. It's not that I know I want to watch football or I feel a little bit tired or blue today. It means I physically cannot do the call, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, you can imagine this. We have a partner who's having a seizure, and I've got to catch a subway, whatever they call it, not subway, train or something. Yeah. Yes, train, Um, which is the seizure happened minutes before I had to to catch Mm -hmm. the train. So I had to make a, I mean, obviously, there's you know, a few people there, but I had to make a judgment call about whether I get to the train station and take the train or I stay, yeah. right? Now, now <laughs> this is quite funny and scary at the same time. So Chris has a, has a seizure, right? And, I mean, I don't know what to do. No one knows what to mm-hmm. do, right? This is like all new for us. We are not doctors, mm-hmm. right? We are terrified, right? What if we cause this? What if we did something here, right? But worse, what if the person dies? You know, a seizure, you don't know what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? I've heard of people dying, or they're becoming so, or they, they, something happens to them that they never recover from a seizure. So, to be honest, I may be laughing about this, but it's absolutely terrifying when you see someone who's pretty tough. Yes. A if I had a seizure, people would not worry because I'm kind of frail and fragile, <laughs> right? But Chris is tough, right? She's not someone that, you know, backs down from anything. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, Chris has a seizure. So, we, we are now with the cops, and the cops say, don't touch the lady, mm-hmm. right? When, when, when the cop removes the clip from his gun, I decide to pay attention, right? <laughs> so I just back off and, you know, everyone else backs off because the cops said back off, right? Yeah. So anyway, the ambulance is on the way and Chris remarkably comes out of a seizure. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you think is the first thing Chris Oh, says? no. She, it, it's going to be work-related. <laughs> it's going to be work-related. Are we ready to go for the meeting? Right? <laughs> Something along those lines, right? And then I explained to her that, look, we are going to cancel the meeting. No one's going to go to them. Nobody's going to go to the meeting. We're all going to come to you. We're going to come to the hospital with you and spend time. We said, are you mad? Something along those lines. Someone's going to the meeting. Either you are going to the meeting or I'm going to the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, obviously, one of us, I can't let her go. Or so, And I'm the most senior one there. So I said, okay, I'm going to go mm-hmm. to the meeting. Right. So uh, you go there and everyone else who needs to be there will be mm-hmm. with you. Right. Now, it, it comes down to a philosophy. We have, we have a philosophy that the client always comes mm-hmm. first. So I go for the meeting. The client, you know, knows Chris very well. They, they expect her to be there. And they ask what happened to Chris. I say, no, Chris is a little bit, feeling a little bit ill, so she couldn't come through. We don't tell them about the CJ. It's not important, mm-hmm. right? They shouldn't even know about that. Right. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that it's our philosophy that no matter what happens, we will be at a client mm-hmm. meeting, right? And clients know that about us. That's one of the reasons clients want to work with us, Right. right? 
Because they, you know, most people when when you when you interview them and you ask them, you know, how committed are you to the company? They'll always tell you things that nothing will stop me from serving this company, right? Mm-hmm. But what they mean is there should be an asterisk next to that, and there should be a footnote saying unless it was personal. <laughs> That's what they really mm-hmm. mean, right? Because as soon as something personal happens, um, they will say, "Oh, the company is a separate entity. Uh, I don't shouldn't work my whole life. I'm just going to." take care of myself but our philosophy is actually quite different mm-hmm. our view is that nothing will stop us to be at the right. meeting and clients know that I mean they knew something was up when I said Chris was ill because Chris doesn't get ill mm-hmm. right if she's going to be ill she will be yeah. she may have to put on a you know um, suit from the CDC to prevent an infection or something but she's going to be <laughs> at that meeting right and that's how philosophy so so what are the lessons? Yeah, right? There's a couple of lessons here. Yeah. First lesson is this is completely my fault, right? I mean, let's be honest. I set up the sequence of events that led to this. Right? Okay. Yeah. And, and why, why did it do, why, why did this happen? One is because I can't say no to people. I find it very difficult for, to say no mm-hmm. to people. If someone asked me to do something, I would... I never rationalize and say, well, you know, this person didn't ask for this. They didn't pay for it. I actually don't think that way. I always say, well, this person needs help. Let me help. Yes. Them, right? That's the way I think. I never ever say, well, you know, they only paid this amount or this person is rude. I don't think that way. I always say, well, the person needs help. Um, they have nowhere else to go. And even if they had other places to go, let's try mm-hmm. to help them. And that's really the biggest problem. I can't say no to people. So... Someone send me something, even if I have like important stuff to do, I will cancel it just to see through their stuff and rearrange other mm-hmm. things. Do you know how long it takes me to watch a movie? Guess how long it takes me to watch a movie? Oh, it, well, so it's certainly not going to be two hours. It's going to be it's going to be longer than that. Is it? It's going to take like seven yeah. hours. Because every time I get an email, I'll pause the movie. Mm-hmm. I'll go respond to the email. And then I'll go watch the movie again. Then I'm thinking, what if he responded to the email I just sent him? So I'll pause the movie again to go check my email, right? <laughs> and I do that for everyone. But then, the, but this is what led to the sequence of events that led to all of this. I take on mm-hmm. too much. And then the, the, I also then have very ambitious goals for the firm. So the team ends up taking on too much. Now, one of the decisions I made over the last few months is that this is not healthy. Okay. Right? Not physically, but healthy for the firm. Mm-hmm. And 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 to understand this, I you know, I got the insight from a 1982 movie. Do you know no, which one? No. Do you remember the Wrath of Khan statue? Oh, <laughs> yes. Do you remember what Spock tells Kirk at the uh, at the very end? Logic dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of mm-hmm. the few. And what does Kirk say? Or the one. Mm. The needs of the many out, out uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, mm-hmm. right? So the way I now rationalize it, if I'm if I'm spending a lot of time helping one person, I'm not spending a lot of time helping many people. Yes. So it's not that I'm going to work less. I'm going to work more on things that help more people. So it's you're going to prioritize differently. I'm prioritizing differently. I'm not cutting back. Mm-hmm. I'm not cutting back. This is not a story where we realize life is more important to spend time with our baby. And, you know, go out for brunch and, you know, find ourselves. This is not eat, pray, love. 
This is the end of the story. Isn't that we're gonna cut back? So that's not the end of the story. The moral of the story is that we almost died. We should work harder before we really die. Right? <laughs> okay. That's the moral of the story, and that's gonna take. That's gonna put some people off, and I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. I'm not telling you to be like me. If you if you listen to this and you say, "Oh my God, if I had a seizure, what's gonna happen?" Then that's fine. You should take time away and spend it with your loved mm-hmm. ones, right? Or if you have no loved ones, there's dating sites for that. You can go on for that, mm-hmm. right? But my point is, I've got a cat, right? They would love you till the end, until they eat your face when you die, right? But my point is that, is that the lesson here is that you don't say yes to everyone. Mm-hmm. Help everyone, but you don't have to say yes to everyone. Right? Yeah. So the first lesson is my fault. Second one is I don't, you can't say yes to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. The third lesson here, and this is quite an important personal one, is that a lot of the way you respond to a crisis is determined by your past. So I grew up in an emerging market, mm-hmm. right? No matter how wealthy I will ever be, and I mean, I don't even take a salary from firms consulting, right? It's not like I do it for the money. No matter how wealthy you will ever be, or I will ever be, I still think, I still remember what it was like to grow up in an emerging mm-hmm. market. And so no matter what happens, no matter how much I have, I always think I'm going to lose mm-hmm. it. So my, my underwriting philosophy is that you can't rest. Because you could lose it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other people may have a different underwriting. You will, for example, your underwriting philosophy is going to be completely different. Yeah. It could be the same. It could be different. But the thing is that this is a bias that's coded into your decisions. Mm-hmm. Whatever decision you make, you, no matter how logical you think about it, no matter how many rational tools you use, you're going to weight it heavily based on this bias you mm-hmm. have. And you can't change that. You, you cannot change it. So people think, well, I got to read this self-help guide. I got to follow this analytic thought process to better manage my time. I can tell you right now, whatever your underlying bias is, if you don't recognize it and you don't accept it, you won't be able to control it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sense? makes perfect sense. So that's the story of our trip, <laughs> which was not fun, wow. right? <laughs> yep. Wow. That's us causing a scene in every city in the world. <laughs> so, but, but I think that the, the lesson, I mean, there's many lessons. You can take whatever you want out of it. But I think that you can take whatever you want. The lesson is life is too short, have fun. Or the lesson is life is too short, have an impact, right? right? Or the lesson is life is too short and you can't do anything about it. It doesn't matter what lesson you take out. Take a lesson mm-hmm. out of it. And for me, the lesson is that, uh, you know, many of them. But the other one is that when you when you... At a certain point, it's not about you, it's about the organization mm-hmm. you have. If you do things and they are quite ambitious, make sure the organization, make sure you've invested enough in the organization. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. If, because if they can't you know, follow the pace you're setting, it doesn't matter what pace you've, de- you've decided to set. Yeah, and then the final one I would say is that this is quite interesting. It's something I've learned over time. When you have very good people, nothing stops them. Mm hmm. And money is not a motivator. I mean, people always say, well, he didn't pay me a lot. That's why I didn't do my best work. I can tell you right now, when you're hiring people, if they are negotiating with you based on money, they're probably going to be quite bad mm-hmm. people. The, you know, we have good people. We have really good people. And they are really committed. And it's not even about money for them. The money is, I would say, secondary mm-hmm. to them. They don't even talk about money. They don't even discuss it. They don't even negotiate it. 
they don't even care I'll be honest some of them don't even spend their money right I've seen what they do <laughs> <laughs> it's like weird stuff like crackers and yogurt right they're probably saving it all somewhere stashing <laughs> it away but my point is that when you're hiring people there's this belief if you pay more you'll get more but you make them you make them you make an assumption that if you pay more the person could actually do the quality you expect mm-hmm. just because you pay more doesn't mean you get better quality that makes sense but that also makes it hard to how do you find the right people right it's very hard to find the right people but i don't think recruiting can be something that you just have over three interviews when i hire people it takes a long time for me to get mm-hmm. to know them I've made mistakes. I've hired friends. Absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. But they were terrible. And I'll tell you why they were terrible. They were signs. Mm-hmm. There were signs in their behavior and when it came to negotiating money. When someone tells you, hey, you know, I'm worth this. I need to negotiate the salary. I always think to myself, but if you're really worth this, you can prove it and you get your increase in like two mm-hmm. months, right? It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's usually people who are really not worth it. They're trying to lock in a big package before you see what they are really good at. And that also demonstrate that get that gets to demonstrated values. If the first thing someone talks about, or if someone brings it up early on in the relationship about compensation and money, that tells you what they value. Like that's one of their concerns. Yeah, exactly. And now people will say no money is important. But let me tell you something. I am personally have never negotiated a salary except once. And it wasn't a big increase. I just want to see if they would do it, right? <laughs> Honestly, I just want to see if they'll do it. I just want to see if they'll do it. But I've never negotiated the salaries. And that's, I mean, as a consultant, it never really hurt my... It never... Not, not, to say it never really hurt, it never hurt mm-hmm. my salary. My salary always rose because if you do a good piece of work, you know, it increases, right? Even at firms consulting, we don't negotiate anything. This is it. You know, tell us what you're interested mm-hmm. in and we'll work from there, right? But we don't say, hey, you know, we're not going to work with you because as a comp- corporate you know, client, you must pay this amount. We don't really work mm-hmm. that way. Uh, because we don't take on many clients, right? Mm-hmm. People will come to us, it's a few, they need to have an interesting problem and we'll look mm-hmm. at it. So, any questions, Tom? You're very quiet, but you're crying because of Chris's... Well, it's a, so, it's interesting because you've taken a very, a very serious event that is... Um, I mean, of course, whenever something like that happens, there's always, you're always reflective about it. I think people just tend to do that and think, well, why did this happen? And, and what yeah. actually happened? Because you don't really piece the story yes. together till afterwards. And but the other thing is, it's interesting that you're you're coming out to talk about it because that gets back to that point of bringing this stuff up can feel like you're exposing a weakness, and I and I feel like there's a common perception that discussing a weakness makes you weak when it, I think it doesn't, and it's actually the opposite to a degree. And and this is another reason that this is useful. A firm is defined by the stories it tells about itself. Yes. Now, can you imagine, this is a story people at Firms Consulting are going to be talking about mm-hmm. when we hire people in the future, when we hire people, you know, anytime, when we work with, this is the story, we're going to talk about the story of Chris and how she had a seizure and how she managed that and how when we say we will get the job, then nothing will stop mm-hmm. us. Right? Exactly. 300 years from now, they'll embellish the story, the marketing department will do that. <laughs> And create all kind of things about it never really happened. But the, the real story is actually good enough just by itself. And obviously, I'm hiding some details because, you know, some of the things are put confidential. Mm-hmm. But everything I've said is 100% true, not even slightly mm-hmm. changed. And this is the stories we tell about ourselves. And the type of stories an organization tells about itself tells you everything you want to know about that organization. Yes, yes. 
We're not celebrating the time Chris closed a major deal and screwed a client out of $100 million or whatever. It right. Was. We don't tell stories about that. We don't even want those kind of stories mm-hmm. to say. And if, you know, if someone did that, they'd probably be fine, right? Right. right. The stories you tell about yourself determines what kind of organization you have. You always remember the story about John Mack. You know John Mack? The name rings a bell, but no. John Mack was the CEO of uh, Morgan Stanley. Ah, okay. That's why. He replaced Philip Purcell, right? And there's a very nice story that people uh, tell me about John Mack. Apparently, when he was, uh, I think, I'm not sure if he was CEO at this point, he was head of the trading desk. He walks into the lobby and he sees a pizza guy there, Mm -hmm. right? Deliver pizza. And he says, okay, good. Delivering pizza. This is going to get a free slice somewhere down the line. And he walks away and he comes back, I think, an hour later or something like that. And he sees the pizza guy there. And he asks the pizza guy, who are you waiting for? He goes and gets the trader and he dresses him down for being disrespectful to the pizza delivery mm-hmm. guy. That story says everything you want to know about that studio. Mm-hmm. Or the story about, uh, you know... Um, John Paulson, uh, sorry, Hank Paulson, the CEO of uh, Goldman Sachs who became Treasury Secretary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a policy of never buying new clothing and he would always talk to the cleaners if he was in the office and they came through late at night mm-hmm. to clean. That's the story you hear about Hank Paulson. That's all you need to know about the CEO. Yeah, and, that, and the CEO is you know, not just setting the tone but defining the organization. And now the key thing is that the CEO cannot decide what stories are told about mm-hmm. them, right? The organization looks at the story and says, well, this story perfectly exemplifies the CEO. Mm-hmm. If he was a jerk, they'll tell stories about what a jerk he was. Well, so this means since you can't, as a CEO, you can't pick your stories, you can only pick your actions. And so you pick the actions. You can pick your actions. Like the story about yeah. Chris. I mean, I chose many stories, but that's a, for me, that exemplifies her character. Yeah. Nothing is going to stop this lady, right? The Germans learned this the hard way during World War II, right? <laughs> and it is true. The Russians are a determined mm-hmm. nation, right? I should hire more Russian partners. That's the moral of the story. Okay, let's stop there. That was a long one. Okay. Hopefully I didn't bore you to Great. death. No. Okay, let's stop okay. there, right?